0: Hello and welcome to Shoulder to Shoulder podcast episode 145, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. We are joined this week by an illustrious guest making a triumphant return, however, this time in a new role. This week, we are going to be joined by the assistant technical director and ambassador for LAFC2 in the MLS Next Pro none other than black and gold original jordan harvey so stay tuned for our interview with him highlighting all the work being done for lafc2 my name is jonathan reimer joining me as always christopher signs and christian aparicio gentlemen good evening and welcome
1: what's up black and gold family glad to be back looking forward to another season coming up just starting to ramp things up here Getting ready to to get into the real gear of uh, once a week, if not twice a week, depending on the opponent. But uh, I know it's been a minute. Uh, off season had to take some time off, but we're back. We're ready to go and excited to start off with uh, Jordan.
2: Yeah, shaking off the cobwebs, making sure we've washed those champagne glasses and polished off that trophy. Now we're gonna get ready to, you know, start this off. Jonathan, welcome back. I know you've uh, been a man of travel, south of the border. I know, look at you
0: guys being so nice, saying, "Oh gosh, it's off season." We the, the reason we haven't put out a pod is because I wasn't in the country. Um, so I just got back from two weeks in Mexico. Spent some lovely time in Guadalajara, Ciudad de Tequila, Monterrey, Chihuahua. Ooh, it was good times. I had some recreational good times down there. Plus, I had some MASL obligations down there with my compatriots Philly and Panda. Shouts to them. Had a lovely, lovely trip south of the border to call a couple games down there, and I took some well-needed vacation in Ciudad de Tequila, which I would highly, highly recommend for your next destination trip. Your dollar goes a long way down there, and the experience is fantastic, but we're not here to share vacation stories. We are here to talk about the black and gold. And a lot, gentlemen, has transpired since our last episode. So we're just going to go somewhat chronologically through what has happened. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the news around the club. We're going to highlight some of the stuff around LAFC2, head into our interview with Jordan Harvey. And then when we come back for the final segment of today's show, we're going to talk about all the new signings for the team as we gear up to defend our championship season. So let's go ahead and start. We're going to roll the clock all the way back to January 19th with the announcement that the bank is no longer the bank, however, still a bank. So it was officially announced that BMO is taking over the Bank of Soccer. Obviously, they are the sponsors of Toronto FC. They do a lot of work north of the wall. This is their first sporting venture here stateside. So, gentlemen, why don't we just go ahead and start with your immediate reaction to the bank, staying the bank, however, becoming a different bank. Chris, why don't we start with you, brother?
1: Yeah, I think it, it works well. People can still affectionately refer to it as the bank. I'm still gonna refer to it as the bank, you know, not bank with the C, but who cares? And I, I you know, I think that I, I even find myself still referring to the staple center as the staple center, you know, and and so I don't see myself not calling this stadium the bank for the foreseeable future. But uh, you know, I'm okay with it. It's interesting, you know. Uh I wonder if BMO is now gonna be in and around Los Angeles as a place to potentially do some type of banking. I wonder if that is in the future for, for the that specific company, but we'll see. I mean, I'm okay with it. Doesn't bother me.
2: I think it's I mean, it's great, right? Well, we all knew that the relationship with the Bank of California was gone. And I think this is a good partner. I think they we broke the record in terms of naming rights for an MLS team, if I recall that correctly, beating RSL's uh, recent announcement. And we we trumped that not not too long after. So I'm happy about that. Additional funds in terms of for the ownership for the club to hopefully reinvest in ways that they can, not in the salary, because we know that's all restricted, but just being able to have that capital, being able to continuously increase or improve the, the experience at the bank, is what I feel like that money's going to go towards and you no know, now we have new letters like I like you said Chris not a C a K but still the bank uh, or Le banque whatever you want to call it if it's in Montreal it's supposed to be french i thought
0: i love the idea of calling it the bank and i probably still will call it the bank more often than not but there's part of my heart that wants to call it the mo for obvious reasons. And so I may use those terms interchangeably. You're right. It is a 10 year, $100 million contract that they have signed with us. The most lucrative stadium naming rights for a soccer specific stadium in the United States. All these people that want to say, well, Lenny United, that's an NFL stadium. All right. Stop that talk. All right. We're talking about soccer specific stadiums. This is the record. This pushed the valuation of the club from $900 million to being the first $1 valued valuated club. Still a top MLS, but now firmly across the $1 billion in franchise value mark as well, too, thanks to this deal. It didn't sound like there were a ton of suitors around the naming rights for the stadium. Certainly not any as lucrative as this. It gets to stay the bank. I don't really care about the color of the sign. That matters incredibly little what? to me.
1: What? You mean it's not black and gold? Oh, my gosh. What are we going to do?
0: I, I'm just, you know, we're beside ourselves. I understand. We're just going to have to put that grief behind us and just, you know, have a hundred million reasons to let it go. You know, maybe just have a little Elsa moment. Let it go. But, I, um, you
1: know, I, mean, I don't know why people would expect companies that are putting brands to get recognized and for hopefully having people then use that brand would think that they're going to change their colors to accommodate the color scheme of the team that they're, I, it's, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't Like, I don't know why, why would a company do that? I'm going to shell out a hundred million dollars for to change my logo colors to simply match your team colors, even though the rest of my marketing and brand are going to see it as, you know, the traditional colors of BMO's is red and white. I don't know. Wait, are you
2: saying that staples was the purple and gold?
1: <laughs> right, exactly.
0: Oh, exactly. Um, That was an outlandish opinion to have in the first place. Not like there aren't red and blue and every other color of the spectrum things all across the stadium. It's not like we play on a gold colored pitch or anything like that. Like I've never heard anyone complain or team colors are black and gold, but we play on a green field. Like get out of here with this nonsense. Like it- it's ridiculous, you know? Most of the headers and banners throughout the stadium are green. Looks like our new kit is going to be green. Oh, tease. More on that in a second. We'll get to that later in the show, folks. But uh, I'm happy that BMO's shown up. We're talking about uh, an organization that spent over 25 million Canadian dollars uh, to invest in soccer at youth levels across Canada. They paid for over 150,000 youth players to enter into a system that has widely been knocked for its pay to play. And they've certainly fronted the bill for a ton of those people. They're obviously committed to growing the game. They know the game of soccer. This is not their first venture into soccer. So I think they have a proven track record of being community first, something that matters to me. And again, there are 100 million reasons to love this deal. And Christian, I have to disagree with you on the fact that this could impact signings. I think, you know, transfer fees and DP expenditure, things that don't hit the cap or the investment in an academy or an MLS Next program where there are less restrictive cap rules to it, that money could certainly affect both the first team and every team on its way all the way down. So I I think that's something to consider that that $10 million a year could very much affect our product. Maybe not today on the pitch, uh, but it certainly could Affect the amount of "quote unquote" war chest money a team has to go out and you know spend on transfer money, or, or the amount of money invested in the academy, a place where we firmly believe our backyard has some fantastic talent to develop. So I'm all in on BMO. I think it's a fantastic organization to step in. Is it a financial institution? And are there some people out there that are not big fans of financial institutions? Sure, but we were already a bank, so I, I don't think it has a whole lot of impact for me. Any final thoughts on the stadium name change before we move on, guys?
1: No, nothing no. else. Yeah, no, nothing nothing good no, or nothing else good to bring to the conversation, you know, onto, onto moves, you know. Uh, there's definitely been some players that uh, have some player changes, players going, players coming. I think one of the biggest ones that, you know, again, this is a, about a week removed, but uh, Chicho Arango, our number nine, was looking for a new contract. And uh, he has now made the transfer to Pachuca in Liga MX. And uh, I don't know how I feel about that one, especially seeing how we potentially could face Pachuca at some point, whether it be in the Gonka Champions League or in the League's Cup. But uh, how did you guys feel about it? Uh, rumored 5 to $6 million deal with a sell-on percentage on top of it, too.
2: I think it's unfortunate. This is, I guess, where the salary restrictions made it difficult, at least for us having more departures to this point, at least significant departures in comparison to incoming. And Chicho's is one of those players that has earned a paycheck. I think we got him relatively cheap in terms of comparison to the sell-on or to the sale to Pachuca and the potential sell-on percentage. But he deserved a raise. And with the restrictions, we couldn't give him one. I think if there was no restrictions, I don't see an issue of LAFC investing in players that have performed and we see a future with. But... What's the what's the decision point? Profit number one to be able to reinvest some of those transfer fees, and two roster restrictions. And uh, I think we've seen that the, the JT's team is is able to find other you know players similar to Chicho, or we just don't have um, the DP space right with all the U twenty two initiatives. The DP having to be that in order to keep U twenty two players that we have now. So. Difficult decision for those that aren't an MLS nerds or LAFC fans. It's hard to understand, especially when they're going to a league in Mexico where they don't have these restrictions. They'll pay him more. I'm happy for him and his family because he came and gave everything. And, you know, we got a cup, a large part because of his contribution. So he deserves it.
0: MLS is set up in a way to try and make it very difficult for teams to repeat as champions. When you win MLS Cup, everyone on your roster gets a guaranteed raise. That guaranteed raise is inevitably going to push you over the salary cap. It's structured that way in order to break teams apart after they win an MLS Cup. That is, that is why these rules are written the way they are. There was a 0% chance that we were going to be able to take the exact team from the 22 season, and transfer it over to the 23 season. It, it was never going to be possible, especially with LAFC using so much allocation money and things that we had earned up over previous sales, uh, Twesta and things like that, in, in order to get us to this point financially. So players had to go. Obviously, Gareth Bale drops off. That's a huge amount of salary. Latif Blessing. It's a few other departures as well, too. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we did not have enough money in order to make sure that we could keep Chicho Arango at a salary that would have kept him happy. And an unhappy Chicho Arango going out there begging for a transfer is a distraction, would have affected the play on the pitch, assuredly, and is not something the team wanted to do. We don't treat our players that way. So we did what's best for the player. It might not be what's best for the club on paper. But roll back the clock. Who had even heard the name Chicho Arongo before he showed up with LAFC? It's the same thing with Atuesta and so many of these other fantastic stars that we have sold on. We trusted in JT to go out and find these people in the first place. For I think Chicho came in for like two, two and a half million dollars, somewhere around there. We sold him for five, six million, plus we have a sell on percentage of his future sale. So, I mean, it was good money financially for the club, and I trust that JT is going to be able to go out and find that next person. Is it difficult with a front-loaded schedule, CCL at the beginning, to be going into the season without a true number nine? Absolutely. But this is not a byproduct of how LAFC runs a team. This is a byproduct of how MLS forces you in to these difficult roster decisions when you've won a championship. And I trust our front office to do the right thing, but it is sad to see Chicho leave. Do you guys have a favorite Chicho Arango moment, a goal, uh, something on the pitch, off the pitch, something in the community that you really think highlights his career with LAFC? Uh,
1: I mean, I think the iconic celebratory piece with the tongue sticking out. I think that that is always something that'll stick out of my head. And also, you know, during this this playoff run. The Chicho Arango goal celebration where he scores the goal and then runs over into the S10 crowd and goes up to his wife and gives her a kiss. And I think that that one is definitely one of the moments that I'll never forget.
2: Yeah, galaxy winner at the death. I'll never forget that. And I feel like that after that felt like it was destiny, right? After that, it was like, whatever, Austin, just come, come, come to the bank. We got you. So at least that's how I felt. And when that happened, I'm like, this is meant to be. And he was at the right place at the right time. And he deserved that too. He had been working so hard the last few games to, to have his moment, to be able to you know stamp his name in the history, his short history, but just have an iconic goal.
0: In the words of Agent Smith, inevitability, I think is the word you were looking for there. I, I'm going to have to echo Chris. You stole my thunder. The moment where he ran up into the stands and kissed his wife after scoring a goal. That connection between family, player, community, all of that was highlighted so perfectly in that moment. And Christian, I mean, is there a better goal he scored for us than one to beat the Galaxy in the playoffs? I mean, come on. that's We we have put Adama Diomande on a pedestal so high for what he did versus the Galaxy in the playoffs. Chicho Orongo deserves a similar placement as well too. Chicho, wishing you all the best. We know you're still a fan of the black and gold. I saw you tuning into some of the live streams coming out of Coachella. We know you're still following the team. Thank you for everything you did to help put a star on this new jersey for the black and gold and help make us champions. Uh, you will forever be a legend in this town, and I hope someday your career might intersect with ours once again, even if it's at the tail end. I think we would all love to see Arongo back at the bank. All right, gentlemen, let's go ahead and transition the conversation to a little bit of LAFC 2 talk. So we got some news and then we got a fantastic interview coming up with Jordan Harvey, who's going to unpack some of the things going on with our MLS Next Pro team. So the first big news to drop was that the team will be playing its games at Titan Stadium on the campus of Cal State University Fullerton. However, for those of you that don't want to make the drive behind the orange curtain, fans will be able to stream LAFC2 matches on the MLS season pass through Apple TV. So we're going to get to watch every single one of these games in the same platform that we would use to watch the first team, which I think is a massive win for the club. However, The decision to play in Orange County in Fullerton is one that has ruffled a lot of feathers. There are people who are really frustrated that a team that has beat its chest so profoundly about being from the heart of Los Angeles and playing our games in downtown has now gone to Orange County, something we have oftentimes chided our rivals for being more Orange County than Los Angeles. So what are your thoughts about the announcement that the games will be played at Cal State University Fullerton. Chris?
1: Well, you know what? I I think that some of the fans, you know, and, and, you know, not everybody's aware of the information, but there was a lot of limitations in terms of the stadiums that were available to us and to LAFC too. The field had to be grass. There couldn't be any other lines on it other than uh, soccer lines, you know, so it couldn't be a stadium that was shared with a, a college that had a football team on it. There had to be a certain amount of seats in the stadium, right? So when, automatically, when you look at all of those things, it, you're limited to the number of stadiums that are available to LAFC too. Um, And so because that was, those were all the limitations, that's part of the reason why Cal State Fullerton happened, right? And I know that there were other areas that, that the club had looked at and they just didn't come to fruition, you know, people were talking about things that were in the city of Los Angeles parts of you know the San Fernando Valley were part were part of the conversation but it just ultimately it just came down to this and it was because of the limitations that had to be had so that the club played on specific type of of grass or uh, had a certain s- type of stadium
2: yeah i think it's unfortunate to your point jonathan but what can you do So, I think we have to make the best of the situation. As we always know, within the city of LA, San Fernando Valley, or even maybe a little closer than Fullerton to LA, there'll be some sort of development at some point, I'm sure. Or LAFC will make some investment in land and develop something, I hope, um, in the near or long term so that this is not all the way down there. But you got to make do with what you have. And in order to get this off the ground, this is what we got to do. I'm excited to your point about being able to see this on MLS. A season pass with apple that to me is a super cool thing because obviously it's not easy to get to orange county all the time unless it's some sort of weekend you plan for it so being able to have the ability to watch games watch the development of some of these players that we we hope can come through and ultimately be part of the first team um in the next few years that's that's pretty cool instead of you know seeing clips on twitter over here now and then just being able to record or watch this live it's going to be awesome
0: I think there are a lot of people that are frustrated. These games just didn't happen at the bank. Uh, the solution to that is show up at Cal State Fullerton, prove to them that they need a 20,000 seat venue to host this team. And, and I'm sure in the future, the possibility of the team moving back to this. We asked Jordan Harvey this question and he gave us a fantastic answer. So stay tuned for that. More along the lines of LAFC2, they have announced the first ever head coach, and that is going to be Enrique Duran. So he joined LAFC in 2017 as our director of coaching and has been instrumental in helping our academy training methodology and is responsible for a lot of the development of the academy coaching staff. He was, of course, named head coach of the Las Vegas Lights last season. Uh, He led the Lights to the best season they have had in their history. Remember that Steve Cherundolo was the coach the year before that. So uh, Mr. Duran's got a little little bit of a, a leg up on Dolo in that regard. I'm sure that conversation has happened in the locker room course Charundlo uh, certainly had himself a pretty good year last year as well too but he helped the Las Vegas Lights finish in ninth place which is the best they have done under their laFC partnership 12 9 and 13 record 45 points helping them set a record so gentlemen what are your thoughts about us bringing our Las Vegas Lights coaching staff with us to LaFC two
2: I think it makes sense right it seems like The primary goal with Las Vegas, to maybe the detriment of of the club, but to the benefit of LAFC, has been developing players, right? we It never seemed like we're going to win USL when we were affiliated with them. And even with Phoenix before that, it was more about seeing who we can bring along to contribute to LAFC. So I think he has that experience. But now I think it'll be more competitive uh, within MLS and with the badge having the club's name. So I think he's going to be able to couple those two things, along with the methodology, the progress, the philosophy, the, I think, uh, vertical integration of uh, understanding what is needed to compete, but also what is needed to contribute and move players along. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him, too. It seems like he's putting the work to be part of the team and bringing him along to be the coach makes sense.
1: I think having the continuity from one season to another rather than starting from scratch especially there was the change in in gaffer from Steve Tarandolo to now Enrique Duran and and you just don't want to start over again and again and again. So and and I think that you can see that too with some of the signings that the club has had these are not necessarily players that we would expect to be Uh, dressed on match days they are more so to fill out this roster and when you look at the amount of depth that we need to have for this roster you know 18 players get dressed on any given match day plus or minus you want to have another uh six as a reserve potentially in case somebody gets injured in warm-ups and things like that so now you think okay now i need to fill another whole squad that's a potentially another 20 players that you might need to have available so it's you know, I think that we're going to continue to see a decent amount of signings that come up. Granted, some of these might be academy players are already within the house, but um, you know, you just want to have that continuity going forward. And I think it all starts with having a coach that understands the philosophy of the club and and what players have to offer and what direction he wants to go.
0: It was the right move. Clearly, all these players have been Working with this gentleman for five years now. It, it it's only the perfect fit to bring him to LAFC Two. LAFC Two did play their first ever game, it was a closed doors preseason friendly between them and the LA Force, uh, which is um a PSL affiliate team. Uh, it is rumored that we lost that game two to one. However, it has been very difficult to find specifics on the game. I only know a little bit about the game because an Empire Strikers player was on loan with the force for that game, and he scored a penalty, uh, which I spoke to him about. But uh, aside from that, nothing really to report on that first game. Looks like it was more of a kickabout than it was really a proper game. We know their season will be kicking off shortly, and we will have more news on that to come. A brief look at our academy. And then we'll go ahead and transition to the interview with Jordan Harvey. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but the season has already kicked off for our academy. And between the U14 and U17 level, the entire LAFC academy is undefeated from U14, 15, 16, and 17. They are a combined 17 and 0 to start the season. They have outscored their opponents 77 to 10. In those 17 games, that is four and a half goals per game that our academy is scoring while giving up just 0.59 goals per game. Wow. Gentlemen, your thoughts on the early season dominance from the black and gold academy.
2: In the words of uh, Steve Cherundolo, we got to be consistent. It's not about keeping this high. Right. So why what? sevens and eights across the board every game so if they can continue on this trend obviously it's a huge 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 beginning right but we need to make sure that they understand that there will be ebbs and flows that they continue to perform at a consistent level but obviously i'm excited especially if those games you know they're playing against all the other academies and clubs it's only going to be a good next set of few years in terms of having these players contribute develop go up to lafc too and then i think it's only a matter of time since we have a, ha- a handful of those contributing in the first team.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, it, uh, so I didn't realize that the all through all those levels, they were undefeated. You know, I look at, uh, I do, there's a, a young man that lives here in Santa Clarita. His name's uh, DeCarlo Guer- uh, Guerra, and he's on one of those teams. And so I've followed his team specifically. Uh, he trains over here at a, a soccer facility by my house. And. Uh, You know, so I've watched, I've been watching and keeping tabs on him, but uh, you know, it's amazing. You know, the, the amount of work and dedication that these, these young men are putting into it, you're coming and seeing it come to fruition. And it's, it's exciting to see what that could mean for our club moving forward in the future.
0: What a perfect time to go ahead and bring in the assistant sporting director and ambassador for LAFC two in our MLS next pro for inaugural season let's go ahead and take a quick break we will be right back with our interview with jordan harvey hey this is john Thorrington, and you're listening to the shoulder to shoulder podcast folks joining us as our guest for episode 145 is someone very near and dear to our hearts and making a triumphant return to Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. This man has over 350 MLS games to his credit, over 28,000 MLS minutes. He is a black and gold legend, an LAFC original, the 2015 Canadian Championship winner, 2019 LAFC Supporter Shield winner, TV personality technical advisor to the 2022 mls cup champion and supporter shield winning lafc campaign mission viejo california's finest most notably husband to the great kim caldwell harvey <laughs> newly appointed lafc assistant technical director and ambassador at lafc2 in the mls next pro welcome back to the show jordan harvey Wow, take a
3: sip of water. Thank you for the uh, amazing introduction. Uh, I think my wife would love that she was kind of at the highlight of that. Man, when you say stuff like the 350 games and the minutes and stuff like that, it, it takes me back to kind of the process and and where I am now. So uh, in a split second, you take me on a ride. So I appreciate that. And all of that coming down into this position with LAFC has been uh, so fulfilling and I'm really appreciative of everyone including yourself along the way that has supported me
0: so since we last spoke you have landed a new position with the club you were the lafc swiss army knife last season playing many roles from media personality to technical advisor you are now the assistant technical director and ambassador for lafc Two. so tell us a little bit about the role and what the responsibilities are going to be for mr harvey going forward
3: This has been a process, and I think anyone who has retired will tell you that your career initially, and some people take that in different ways. I I decided to jump right back in. AFC is obviously near and dear to my heart. It's been the best football I've ever played. It's been the most passionate I've been about a club and the process at which they do things, And the people that are involved within the organization, the fans, everything about it, I want to be a part of. And so last year was a long process of trying to figure out what it is that I am passionate about and that I feel like I can add. Initially, Steve, Ante, Mark, Oka, the coaching staff, was really open. And I was really grateful that they gave me the opportunity to be on the field with the first team for preseason a few months into the season. and I. Did that, but then also worked with the younger guys, so in player development. And um, I really got a good grasp of uh, not just our academy, but the way that it works and the pathway that comes through. So being able to create that last year uh, for the academy players and, and, and kind of put vision to it, sit down with these players and be able to just talk to them about their experiences, what they have to look forward to was really fun for me. In doing that, John Thorrington and Will Koontz were very open and allowed me to be on every single conversation and, and a part of the front office stuff as well. So I got to dabble and it was uh it was really great. It, it gave me, you know, a bunch of different things. And Steve Renolo said it best early in the season, it's like, you know, you you want to see what you like, but it's easier to check out the things that you don't want to do, right? And so in that process, I gravitated more towards the front office stuff and I really enjoyed it. And so towards the end of the year in working with Will Kuntz, we started to go, get into this LAC 2 project and identify the players that we think can make that jump into that squad this year. And so we started sitting down with them and, and started the process. And now... I think I don't even know necessarily what my title was last year. It didn't really matter because I was doing uh, so many different things. Now I am working very closely with the second team and signing players from our academy internationally, uh, as well as uh, working with John Marco Garces now, our technical director, in, uh, in, in the ways that I can being a resource as to building the first team roster. I still really enjoy sitting down and being a mentor towards the younger guys and, and, and the player development side. So I think there will be a lot of that going on as well. And then occasionally on the field, I think, with the second team and, and actually on the field working with guys on individual things that they need work on. So still very much Swiss Army, but in the conversations I had with Marco Garces and John Thornton, assistant technical director encompassed all of it. And so in that title, I think it's still a lot of different hats, but man, I I am enjoying it. I really have a passion for it. I'm coming in eager to learn, which I'm doing a lot of in the last year and now this year for sure. And creating, like I said, like a pathway for these academy players when I was in their shoes. and, And this is one question and I've gone on for a long period of time, but when I was in their shoes, we didn't have this. We didn't have this pathway where you could be involved with a, a first team, jump up in training and really acclimate yourself to this environment. It was go to college or, or go professional. Okay. A lot of kids can't make that jump. I couldn't make that jump. So what is the, where's the middle ground here? LAC, I'm really proud that we also in these LAC 2 contracts, we're including education. So kids are able to here at Cal State LA, it's kind of all-encompassing. This little campus that we have attached to Cal State LA to be able to be in a professional environment, rub shoulders with first-team players like Giorgio Chiellini, Carlos Vela, and have that education part of it. So I feel like it's all-encompassing. I'm creating. Uh, we're all creating something uh, that I wish I had uh, when I was in these
0: player shoes. So I think that very accurately paints a picture of the role of assistant technical director. But your title also includes the phrase ambassador as well, too. So how would you define being an ambassador for LAFC2?
3: So um, the ambassador side, I guess, is, is more on the community side of things. I think that that's what that ambassador title represents is in my four years playing, I really enjoyed being a part of the community. I really enjoyed whether it was going out to clinics or camps or opening up futsal courts or any sort of appearance they asked me to do, if I could do it, I was there. And in doing that, I think I uh, learned that I really enjoyed it. And the community branding partnerships uh, learned that I was pretty good at it. And so this last year, I did a lot of it, as well as the, the media. So I think the ambassador side represents... What I'll be doing in the community this year, as well as some of the content that I'll be creating for game day stuff or whatever it is, Apple TV, but kind of a resource for LAC in that way.
0: Good. We're looking forward to seeing more Jordan Harvey behind the camera. You did a fantastic job in that role. So what do you think are the immediate goals for the LAFC two team here in the first year? And how would that differ from a five year plan for the club?
3: The immediate goals is to create a competitive, but a competitive roster that focuses on development. So we have an amazing group of players here at the academy. We have at every level, if you've ever gone to an academy game, chances are that they flew teams out 5-0. Just, there's across the board, just quality players that Tas Saldana and his staff have brought in. And now it's as the cream rises to the top and players get older, it's who's ready for that jump. So it's identifying what players from O3s to, say, O6s in those age groups that are capable of playing at this LAC2 level. First, it's bringing up the academy. I think we have to show that there's a pathway, that we are focused on developing players from the very beginning. They jump into the academy and then into LAC2, potentially the first team. So the the immediate goal is to, to find those players within our academy that are capable. Then it's identifying positions that maybe we don't have depth, and maybe we need to go internationally, whether it's Mexico, overseas, South America, bringing in players that have massive upside, huge potential, and uh, could potentially be options for the first team. You know, in the near future, we want to keep it to a young group, under twenty one, focused on developing players that get to a certain point and if they're capable, being a part of this first team. And so right now it's building that roster. That's the immediate. Five years from now, I hope this is a well-oiled machine. It is a train where we're bringing up academy players. There's a a really tight connection. There's possibly, you know, two, three of those players in the first team regularly, getting minutes, potentially starting. That would be a dream for me. And I know Marco Garces as well, to have in five years some guys that came from our academy and are in the first team. That is the goal. And that is what we're trying to create now with LAC2.
0: We've seen the successful model here in the United States of academies, be it in North America, too, with Mexican clubs, we've seen, you know, Barca academies and some of these world-renowned academies that when you look at a player's bio and they see that they were a member of that academy, that speaks volumes to a player's potential both in the domestic league and potentially in a jump to the foreign league in the future. How would you say modeling LAFC2 differs from academies like a Barca academy or an Arsenal academy that have been so successful here stateside?
3: We're young. We are finally graduating our first academy group, which is the Tony Leone's, Eric is These guys are finally at an age and they're still young. It's 19. Right. These kids are turning 19. Um, so there's still possibly a year in their development before they could possibly be on the first team regularly. Right. So we're young, but that is the goal. The goal is to be a club that is competitive with the first team year in, year out. MLS Cup is the goal, trophies, supporter shield, all of it is the goal, hopefully Champions League, all of these competitions. We want trophies, be competitive in that nature, but then also have that that pathway, that development guide uh, that that players can attain that first team. And I'll tell you, the the Bayerns, the Barca's, a lot of those players come through that academy and maybe they're loaned to different clubs. And there's so many professionals that have come from those academies. I think there's obviously so many positions on the first team, but if we can create uh, an identity like that in the next, hopefully five years where we show that there is a pathway to the first team, if not, then you're still going to get opportunities based on the credibility of LAFC Academy. We have players that, uh, you know, they may look at the first team and go, how am I going to break into that? I have an easier way of going to another club that isn't competitive and getting into to the first team. That might be true, but you're doing yourself a disservice because you're not getting the development of of what we have. You're not rubbing shoulders, being able to train with the best team in MLS, you know, maybe week in, week out, maybe you're not getting minutes. And if you're at a point where we feel that you are first team ready and you can't break into this team, we're going to find you minutes somewhere else, right? So to be that Barca, that Bayern that, that creates and develops all these players and then Great. If they make the first team, that's awesome. And that is their ultimate goal. But if not, it's, there's opportunities based on you coming through this academy.
0: Well, I think we all have hopes that the pedigree of this developmental system is one day in the same conversation of the likes of the Bayerns and the Barces of the world. One thing you've had to do right now is to build out your technical staff you've already started with the first announcement enrique duran has been named the coach for lafc too he started as the director of coaching for lafc in 2017 he was assistant coach to steve Cherundolo for las vegas in 2021 He took over the gaffership of the lights in 2022 and uh, to Mr. Cholendolo's discredit led them to their best season ever. I'm sure that conversation has happened once or twice between the two of them. So tell us a little bit about coach Duran. What do we expect to see from him? And then how is the rest of the technical staff coming along?
3: Yeah, I I think that that first comment with with Steve, I don't know if he's looking backwards having uh, just won MLS cup in his first year as head coach. So He's, he's not worried about that. Um, but I think what, what you just described and myself included in this is a uh, it's not just a pathway for players. It's a pathway for staff. It's a pathway for players going into the staff. It, it's put in the work, devote yourself to LAFC and the culture and be a part of it, and good things will happen. Steve came in uh, with Vegas. Obviously, he's got an amazing pedigree, goes into the first team, Enrique. With the uh, head of coaching methodology, goes into an assistant. Listen, he earned his way, and now he's going to be the LAC2 coach. He has uh, from that Vegas staff. Last year, Stephen Campos was the assistant Omar goalie coach. Uh, Mitchell Monahan is a huge part of the LAC2 in this rebuild. Not, I shouldn't say rebuild, creating this roster. I work with him every day. Our desks are next to each other. And so I, I'm kind of the hybrid of the first and second team, whereas Mitchell is all in on the second team. So the staff is transferred over from Vegas. I don't know if anybody knows this or how, if they don't, they should. The Las Vegas Lights was run by LAFC, right? So it's only natural that then those guys come over and and they're part of the LAFC2 staff. It's a great staff. Enrique Duran, obviously coming from the development, the academy side, he knows the players that are coming through the academy just as well as anybody. Um, And... He's able to coach and create an environment that that within the LAC game model comes out in these players, and it's it's huge to have that as your development as the stepping stone to go into the first team because you know that the foundation is already being laid. Todd Saldana, his staff, Enrique was a part of that with the LAC game model from the under twelves, and now you have a really fluid system where. Everyone in the academy is taught the main principles of LAFC and recreated those. Now he's at a position where he's got the final product of these academy players, um, and he can really dig in on a professional level with these academy players that have come through and developed them in their last phase to go to the first team. So it's really a perfect position for him, given his expertise. He came from, you know, the Barca Academy, so it's really really cool and Marco Garces and I talk about this all the time. We feel like we're at the beginning of an amazing opportunity and right at the moment where I think just the roof's going to blow off. And this is like such a cool opportunity to be able to create this with our academy just coming into the perfect time age-wise for this to be now LAC2 and in hopes 5 years from now it's just like it's moving and uh I'm Just happy to be a part of it, in all honesty. I just, I enjoy doing it every day.
0: So let's go ahead and transition the conversation to the talent on the field. LAFC announced their first ever Academy product signing in the MLS Next Pro system, in that of Christopher Jaime. Uh, He joined the Academy in 2021, played under a USL Academy contract last season. How does it feel to have the first signing in the books, and how is the roster development coming along?
3: you know this first signing a lot of people see signings and they think man that that must have you know the last week they just figured it out this these have been months in the making right like multiple conversations with different players expressing or trying to show the p- pathway and and because Christopher Jaime is the first it's difficult because he he doesn't see it he doesn't see that just quite yet he doesn't see the team he doesn't see the stadium he doesn't see so uh, you know, we we uh, we also haven't seen it either, but we're creating this and he was the first to commit. And we were so grateful because he is the perfect example of coming through the academy, working with the, the, the second team, getting breaking into that second team, which a lot of the guys will be doing now with LSC 2 which he did with Vegas. And then being a regular starter with that second team. And now he pushes the envelope. He's going to be the leader on that LAC 2 team, along with a lot of our homegrown players. And then he'll be, which he has been, in preseason with the first team. He'll be in trainings with the first team. And now he's doing exactly what he did with Vegas, with the first team. And so it's just this pathway. And he validates LAC 2 and the start of this pathway. He is, he is the first. And so... Um, We were super grateful um, that he uh, signed, that he committed and we're uh, committing to him with, man, it's your team, man. You're you're one of the big guys on it. Now you need to step up, lead these guys. There's going to be some young players as well, but we're relying on you to really push yourself and, and break into the first team as soon as possible.
0: Are there any other players within the current LAFC Academy system that you see playing a big role in LAFC two in the near future?
3: hundred percent, and we we've signed a few
0: of them already.
3: I'll we'll wait to announce those players, but big time players in our academy that we're super excited about, and yeah, it's it's just now creating that with with every player that comes from the academy showing uh, the rest of not just the the acad- the MLS, but our academy, that we are bringing up these academy players. They're going to have these opportunities. They're going to start the professional career at LAC2, and that will be the stepping stone to the first team. So we have players already signed from the academy, hopefully more to come. There's also, which Christopher Jaime did with Vegas, there's amateur contracts that don't block someone off from college eligibility if they wanted to go that route, but they can dabble with LASC too. So there'll be a number of those as well. A lot of younger guys getting opportunities, uh, certainly training. And then if they're capable, jumping into those those minutes uh with the second team, just like Christopher Hamme did.
0: In building an MLS roster, there are a lot of convoluted and complicated rules as to how one can construct a roster. For the fans who don't know, what are some of the limitations placed by the system on constructing an MLX Next Pro roster?
3: Surprisingly, there's less, but you are guided by a budget. You know, you have a decent budget or a, a good budget. Our owners are super supportive of the first team, and they are super supportive of the second team. The budget is, I would say, equivalent to other second teams throughout the league. But you, it's it's how you use those. So you hope that you not only get some first team players coming down to get minutes, younger guys, for sure. You get uh, a good amount of LAFC2, MLS Next Pro contracts. And then you get a good amount of amateur contracts, players coming up from the academy. So it's a mixture. Um, this first year is fun because just like Thorrington did with our 2018 team, you – you can create something, you can create a culture, you can create a standard, and you create a team. And with our academy, that's what's been the most fun is that Tassel Daniel his Step. They have such good players that it's so much fun to go and watch these academy games and see what the future looks like for LAC2. And then obviously the first team. And I think it's going to be a comp well, it will be a combination of the three kind of categories that I described. And obviously all within a budget. So you can't just you aren't and you aren't going to you go out and and spend a, a crazy amount of money on on transfers or you know salaries because in all honesty it's going to be a young squad so it's difficult to justify that um when you're doing it with the first team so you saw a Steve Abuke who is a young player that is obviously ready for that and ready for that challenge and I'm excited for you know the league and and the fans to see him but if they are capable at the first team level those young guys will be there and I think that's what everybody needs to understand.
0: I'm really high on Shtipe Biuk. Uh, I was at his press conference when he was announced. He looks like he's going to be a real talent in this league. Excited to hear that. Uh, just seconds ago, we have Timothy Tillman being announced as the new signing for LAFC as well, too. So exciting to see the boys with the opportunity to train with the likes of him, the Carlos Velos, the Giorgio Chiellini's. The Pierre Emmerich Albamiangs of the world, uh, the opportunity for all those players to get a chance to uh to help coach the next generation of the black and gold is something we're all looking forward to. My next question for you is one that uh, has been buzzing around ever since the announcement within the community, and that is that the team will be playing at Titan Stadium on the campus of Cal State University Fullerton. Now, I have to say there's a bit of a divide amongst the fan base. Some of them are unhappy of the idea of the team playing in Orange County, especially after this club has beat the drum of calling itself as a team that plays within the heart of Los Angeles. Many people want to know exactly why it worked out that they could not play at BMO Stadium, the bank. Uh, or opposed to a different location that is closer to the city of Los Angeles. So why was the campus of California State University Fullerton the right place for LAFC2? And why did it not work out that the team could have performed at the bank?
3: It is not as uh, simple as maybe people think, as far as finding the perfect spot that is accessible for everyone. You know, that is within again our budget and and open. You know, I think you need or I know you need a certain amount of stands, you need a certain, I I think a certain atmosphere that creates a professional uh sense. And and for me, I pushed Fullerton from day one because I played there collegiately, I played there professionally, and I think it's an amazing stadium that gives the players the right. Environment to succeed and to develop. I would uh, challenge anyone to find a better stadium than Cal State Fullerton for a second team like LAC2. We'll play a bunch of different second teams throughout this league. I I would put uh, Cal State Fullerton uh, Stadium up there with the best. And to go back to your BMO uh, stadium, that is. A massive stadium that has unbelievable, uh, it would be an unbelievable environment, but it also has operational costs that are far exceed what LAFC2 and our budget is capable of. So you have to keep that in mind while also pushing for a really amazing environment for our players and for our fans. And I think And we will have the the roster, the schedules will come out. And I think you'll see some games on there that are going to be really exciting. I hope fans come out, support, because it is the future of our first team. And I think that's what they have to understand. I grew up in Orange County. So this idea that uh, Orange County is bad, I know we are LASC, but we do need to expand our reach. We are LASC. We are in the heart of Los Angeles. But if we are saying we are shoulder to shoulder, we're also shoulder to shoulder with Orange County. We're shoulder to shoulder with, you know, up north, uh, with Thousand Oaks, the Inland Empire. Like, we have neighbors that want to support L.A.S.C. We can embrace that, I think.
0: Well, as a person who grew up in Orange County myself, currently works out in the IE with the Strikers, it's nice to see the scope of the club expanded beyond the city and county of Los Angeles. And I think exactly... To my perspective, developmental means reaching out beyond what we have here in the heart of Los Angeles. and I for one, I'm excited uh, to go down to Fullerton and catch a couple games. Speak to us about the balance between entertainment and development. There's obviously, on one hand, a goal to be a winning franchise at LAFC2. But ultimately, at the end of the day, there are the obligations to make sure that these players are ready to take a step to the next level. So how do you, as a technical staff member, balance the need to win now versus the need to make sure that these players get the appropriate development? And where do we draw that line between entertainment and development?
3: Well, you, you have to prioritize. And... The second team's main goal is to develop players for the first team, or for a professional environment. So you want all these players to get ninety minutes. So you'll see players that may be dressed for the first team. If they don't play, they are playing for the second team. You will see players that dress for the second team. If they don't play, they will play for the under nineteen game. So it is about development, getting players minutes as much as possible. That is proven. Marco Garces, he's from Pachuca. He has done this many, many times for many, many years. His whole career with Pachuca, they have just developed player after player. This is the recipe, getting the minutes. Now, it needs to be competitive because, and and I feel like that is the next one, because you want to create, you want to breed a competitive culture of winning. That is what we have with the first team. That is what we have done since we came into this league. We have been competitive and pushed the envelope. It is important for young players to understand what winning means. So a lot of these academy guys, winning has come very easy to them because they are the best in Southern California. They are the best nationally. There are competitors in Philly and and Salt Lake has a great setup, but LASC has been at the forefront of player development, uh, of, of the quality. So they have won games uh, by large margins. Now it's about making sure that it is more competitive, that they're getting more quality games. So as I said, we would like it to be an under 21, where if other teams have a different philosophy and they have guys that are in their mid-20s, that will be hard for these young guys. But it'll also to help develop them. So you may not see them winning all out. It's going to be uh, difficult for them because it is a younger group. But I think that will in itself help their development. It'll help their competitive nature. It'll help them, you know, when they win, it will mean something and it will create this spirit within the group that, you know, they they bond and, and that will push them forward into the next level. So competitive versus development versus entertainment, listen, LASC and this style of play is entertaining through and through. And as I said, these main principles have been preached in basic from the young ages becoming more complex it's more ta- technical, coming into more tactical as they get older and, and the way that LAC plays with the first team is preached with the academy and that is the entertaining same fluid football that you've seen with the first team will be with the second team a lot of these guys will get minutes with the first team as well so it's going to be really good and it, it takes a lot of uh, effort from everyone involved communicating with players going up down but it's going to be uh, fast, fluid, and exciting. And given that they are young, which is my favorite part, there's so much potential. And I love watching our youngest group. I love watching this LAC2 group. is going to be young, exciting, and it's just a taste uh, for our fans of, of what's to come with our first team.
0: Brilliant. Well, we know as a man who wears many hats and has many responsibilities, your time is also very precious. So thank you for the time that you've allotted to us today. We have one final question. As a previous guest of this show, we already know what shoulder-to-shoulder means to Jordan Harvey. So our final question for you today, sir, is what does shoulder-to-shoulder mean to LAFC2?
3: Shoulder-to-shoulder for me with LAFC2 is the place between academy and first team. So they are right smack dab in the middle and in arms with the academy and the first team. It is a link. It is a pathway. It is a connection. LASC is one and it's because LAFC two is shoulder to shoulder with the academy
0: and the first team. Well, thank you so much for your time. Again, folks, our guest today has been none other than black and gold legend, Mr. Jordan Harvey, the current LAFC Assistant Technical Director and Ambassador at LAFC2 in the MLS Next Pro program. Jordan, thank you so much for your time. Enjoy the rest of your day. We appreciate you, sir. Folks, thank we will you very be right... much for having me. It's a
3: pleasure. Can't wait to get back on again.
0: Folks, we will be right back after the short break with the third segment of today's show.
3: Hello, this is Jordan Harvey, and you're listening to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast.
0: All right, gentlemen, fantastic stuff there from black and gold legend Jordan Harvey. I think that kind of answers a lot of the questions we had around LAFC, too. There was some pretty good stuff in there. I like his idea about us playing in Orange County, or at least in Fullerton, as being a way to expand the brand of LAFC, that if we want to truly be the big club, the global club, one that extends beyond just our own backyard giving the fans in the inland empire a much easier route to the stadium it's only 30 minutes from the ie helping extend the reach of lafc to the talent base that exists down in orange county as well too so we know that's where jordan harvey's from himself there's a lot of great players that come up from down there i see a lot of his great points about the location of the team I'm really excited about the product that we're going to get on apple tv it's great to hear that the entire coaching staff From our Las Vegas Lights has transferred over along with Mr. Duran, our head coach. So it seems like our academy is certainly off to a great start this year and in really good hands. And I cannot wait to get out there and catch my first game down in Bullerton. All right, let's go ahead and transition back to the first team because we have a flurry of signings to discuss since our last episode. The first of which we knew that midfield was going to be weak. And we went out and we signed powerhouse, world-class player, Daniel Chrysostomo. I know this is one that had all of us just overjoyed. Champagne bottles were getting popped. We were already starting to put that second star on the crest the second we heard about the Chrysostomo sign. Just kidding, folks. Obviously, Chrysostomo, someone who's been with us for a while, has had a cup of coffee with the first team. We know that he provides us that defensive midfield depth. He's got a one-year contract with club options for the twenty-four and 25th year. He is just 26 years old, 49 appearances for the Las Vegas Lights, scored three goals, dropped seven dimes, and played a little over 4,350 minutes. Not much of a world buster in terms of signing, but what are your guys' thoughts on the return of Daniel Crisostomo?
1: You know, again, it's a, a player that is understanding of our system and the philosophy at the club and the culture built around it. You know, and don't be throwing shade on Chris Estomo, bro. Like, that young man has worked his heart out, dude, to try to get to this level, man. Like, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, you know, he, he's not necessarily going to, like, blow anybody's mind off of a page or on the pitch. But you know what, dude? It, good on him, dude. I'm happy that he's back. You know, hopefully he can help the LAFC 2 team and help be a transitional player and give some rest because some much needed rest to the players. As we have this long, long season, it's incredible when you think about all matches being played, I think I, it was something like 54 matches or something like that, that LAFC could potentially be participating in this season. If they were to do uh, all 38 or 34 MLS matches, us open cup matches, Leagues Cup matches and Conca Champions League matches, it's it's a lot. There's a lot of matches coming up, potentially, and, and there's going to need an opportunity for some rest, for sure.
2: I just think, and I know, he's better than our player down in Uruguay, which I can't remember his name right now. But... I sure. Poncho Janela, thank you. Now, are you
1: saying he's better than him because Poncho Janela is laid up with a broken leg? Or are you just saying Mm-mm. even if Poncho Janela was healthy, he'd be better than Poncho
2: You, Yeah, for sure. And you could probably get him at a fifth or less of the salary. Um, and It's, it's equally in terms of, of skill and probably a little bit better of a passer. And a thousand percent faster. I'll, I'll say that. Or maybe just reads angles better in terms of defense. But I'm happy for him to your point. like he's been working hard. He's been going up and down between the lights and laFC at least in the training capacity and now he gets a shot again to be able to contribute to the first team, especially in the depth. So it's another shot for him to prove himself to to make everyone see and make them feel that he belongs. So I hope he takes a shot and contributes and is one of those players that is a late bloomer and uh, you know we all eat our words in terms of being underwhelmed by the signing, but he outperforms our expectations. 12 overall appearances for Mr. Chris in the black and gold. So I mean that uh, you
1: know, I, sh- I would love to have one appearance for LAFC in the black and gold. You know what I'm saying? So it's
0: and y'all accuse me of throwing shade. My goodness, poor Poncho Janella. What did he ever do aside from lose us a conquered chance? Y'all don't, okay, don't right. get me started.
1: <laughs> don't get me started on what has he done.
0: Let's go ahead and move on. It was announced that LAFC have added some right back depth or maybe even a starter in this case in the signing of Sergi Palencia, who has joined us on a one-year deal with an option for the 2024 season. He played last year with French Ligue 2 signed Saint-Étienne, which is uh, a team that I believe he helped earn promotion back up to Ligue 1. So he's gone from 2 to 1. Good job for San Etienne. Uh, He's a Barcelona native, originally trained with the Barcelona Academy, made a brief debut cup of coffee there before being loaned out to San Etienne. Uh, He is a former friend and teammate of Denny Buonga. So I'm probably still currently a friend, but formerly a teammate, and now actually currently a teammate once again with Danny Bawanga, as I totally stumble over my words, clearly out of practice in my podcasting here. My apologies, gentlemen. But what are your guys' thoughts on the Palencia signing?
2: If I can stumble and sound as nice as you did, that'd be great. (laughs) I I think, you know, we're getting the depth that we needed. I still think we need another outside back, but I'm happy that we got someone with experience in Europe. Right, someone that's been going up and down a grind, earning his job, and you know San Etienne. Although they were in Ligue 2, they're a historic team, a team with a lot of pressure, a team with ultras, a team with ambitions to perform well in whichever league they are in. So, and obviously we know how Denny you know performed. So I think there's a a level and a standard that I expect in a defensive way from him, and if if that's the case, he's gonna push. He's gonna push Palacios and he's gonna push Hollingshead to 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 get in for some minutes. And I think they need that pressure to be able to perform in and out uh every day and also get those starts. So good signing, formidable uh CV. And let's see if he can push for for being a regular starter.
1: You know, I it's uh ultimately getting players from Europe that have noticed the club wanted to come and play for the club. I'm sure Denny Buonga did have some hand to play in telling him about this club. So I I'm all for it. Right. And who, like I said, I, we, t- we just spoke about it. The need for having quality depth is going to be imperative if we're going to have a successful season. So keep bringing them on, keep signing the good ones You know, I'm really excited about the next one that we had too, which is just another player with European experience. And so it's, it's going to be, it's going to be really good. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. And I don't think that the signings are anywhere near over
0: either. I I would agree there as well, whether or not he starts at right back and that moves Hollingshead and Palacios back to taking turns at left back and who's going to back up at right back, whether it's Hollingshead, whether they're sharing minutes there, whether Palencia ends up being the backup remains to be seen. But speaking of much needed depth within the midfield, I think we got a very exciting signing in this case. And LAFC announced the signing of midfielder Timothy Tillman. It is a two-year deal with an option for a third year a player entering his prime at just 24 years of age. He played last season with Schweizer Bundesliga team Greuther Fürth as he made his debut there in 2019, played with them, another team that he helped earn promotion uh, from Schweizer Bundesliga to the official Bundesliga, which is really fun to say. Sorry, I was having fun with that. Not to mention Greuther Fürth is just like, I mean, the most Germanic name one could possibly have for a club. Uh, He's from Nuremberg, Germany, however, is a dual national German-American. So he has a U.S. passport, will not be occupying an international slot. But we're talking about a player that came up through the Bayern München Academy system. They regiment and drill training into players at a very young age there. He certainly was playing for one of the best teams in the Schweizer Bundesliga last year. So I'm really, really excited about this signing. He had only one goal and two assists last season, but had a ton of minutes in a very, very physical and difficult league. I think Bundesliga, as we've seen in the past, translates very well to MLS, and I'm very high on this signing. Gentlemen, what are your thoughts on the addition of Herr Tillman?
1: You know, again, I'm excited for it. He's a nice looking midfielder. I got a chance to see him at Coachella, uh, the Coachella preseason matches over this past weekend. Fun note, he is the older brother of Malik Tillman, who plays currently for Rangers, but he represents the U.S. men's national team, has made four caps for the U.S. men's national team. So who knows? You know, it 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 could be something that, uh, you know, continues to just, spread out more and more. And every, like every time, every time that we just get more and more of these players coming from other countries to come and play for us here in in Los Angeles, it just continues to help build what it is that we're trying to have here, whether it is this, this nationally recognized global brand. And I'm really excited for the way he moves. He looked like he integrated himself in well with the club over this past weekend. And he had just arrived in a short period of time before that match and he was already getting minutes. Uh, and so it was exciting to see
2: him. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see how he gels. And I imagine that he will probably be the replacement once Sifu leaves the summer. And I, I'm not going to say that I was right, but I was right that he wasn't leaving this January. I was a, one skeptic on the, on the show, but I think he's going to be the one that overtakes that. I think he's going to be in his prime to your point, Jonathan at 24 and the, the training, the experience that he has, uh the two-way uh ability, the ability to play defensively, be be able to control, be able to cross the ball, be able to find the final through pass, whether it's in between the center backs diagonally. Um, I see a lot of potential. And I think once he understands the system well and can uh you know really understand the two other midfielders that are that are, he will be playing with, I think he'll be the most attacking of the three. And I think he's gonna be swapping with Sifu throughout the year, more so than Kalen or um, um Ilie. Ilie, yeah. Thank you. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to his contributions and I, I see um I see more verticality from him than from Sifu, who I'm comparing him to. So that's what excites me. I think we're gonna be a little bit more explosive, even though Sifu covers a lot of ground. Um, I think there's just a little bit more speed and aggressiveness from him offensively in comparison to Sifu.
0: Sifu's a a little bigger-bodied individual, a little bit more physical, one might say, but Tillman's coming from a very physical league in Germany, so I think he translates well. Uh, He has, uh, in his CV... Played both six and eight positions. I think we see him more as a six. I don't think we're going to employ him as a defensive mid. I think he's more in the attacking side. And I agree. Looks like a logical long-term replacement for Sifu. That about wraps us up for signings. couple things here before we call the show quits. First of which would be the Coachella Valley Invitational. Chris, you had a great chance to go out there and check out one of the games. Uh, first game, we ended up falling to D.C. United 2-1. to one. Bawanga got a great goal early on in the game, and then after a myriad of subs had come in, DC ended up scoring too late to take the points that no one cares about. Uh, In the more highly touted matchup of Bob Bradley versus Terundolo, the return of the likes of Adama Diomande to the field against LAFC... LAFC went ahead and stormed out to a 2-1 victory over Toronto. Bawanga, scoring both goals, got himself a Coachella Valley hat trick between the two games. Stipe Buke with a beautiful, beautiful floating dime to Buanga for the second goal. Fantastic stuff. But I watched it all through our friends at Defenders of the Bank's live stream. I was not there. Chris, you were. So help us understand the sights and sounds of the Coachella Valley Invitational.
1: Yeah, it was actually a lot of fun. Uh, just a quick two and a half hour drive southeast to the Empire Polo Fields. And, uh, you know, the facility, it was a nice, it was definitely nice in terms of the temperature. It was a um, Palm Springs can be a little bit hot during uh, some of the summer months, but uh, here in February, it was still very nice, cool, comfortable weather. It wasn't bad, you know, it was fa- fairly straightforward. Just walked straight in. They had several pitches, but only one pitch was going at a time. That day, uh, LAFC was playing Toronto, and then I believe uh, NYCFC was playing. I forget who it was, but uh, NYC. Oh, it might have been Portland Timbers. But there was only two games going on that day. So the the price of admission for that day got you the ability to watch both games. I went there. I took both my sons, my brother-in-law, and my nephew the five of us. My nephew was actually uh there for one of the galaxy camps, which he's an LAFC fan, but just looking for
0: getting getting
1: more camps and things like that. So it's
0: whoa, uh, traitors, traitors in the science household.
1: No, no. So actually he was wearing his got ga- his LAFC stuff all, all the whole time while he was there at the galaxy's camp, and it was uh it made for a little razzing, you know. But uh either way, it was good, you know, and I mean first of all let's talk about these goals right I actually missed both the goals but I saw videos of them cuz the people around me but uh Slippy was there and uh Mario El Mariachi M.A.M.A. was there and they, every time I came back they're like hey we scored again bro go, get out of here go leave so that we can score again you know uh it uh but the one goal from Toronto was a beautiful a beautiful curler off the top post went down and in It was, you know, uh, the starting goalkeeper was uh, McCarthy. He played pretty much the whole game. And uh, it was good to see Max Grapeau was out there walking around. But uh, Denny Buwonga looked good, man. Denny Buwonga's is looking good to score all three of our goals in these two games. I think that we're going to see a lot from Denny. And, you know, we saw it kind of turn up at the end of last season. I'm really looking forward to how he performs and plays this upcoming season. And then, of course, after the game, some of the fans all went down to the railing and you were really close like the the proximity of the players to the stands it was i mean it couldn't have been more than five ten feet you know and you could stand at the fence line and the fence line was maybe a yard from the side of the pitch from the from the out of touch line so you know it was really really close intimate setting definitely worth the price of admission i mean again you're you're yes we're paying aeg which is the the company that owns the galaxy but I mean, for 30 bucks, for the opportunity for you to get that close, to see the players play. After uh, my sons and my nephew, we were all there at the fence and, you know, players came by and they were given autographs and really cool. Ilya Sanchez, really, really sweet man. He uh, my youngest son, Ben, was I was holding him up on the fence and he goes, oh, you want me to take a picture? And he like picks Ben up over the fence, pulls him over and is like holding, uh, holding Ben and taking a picture in his arms and stuff like that. And it was it was really, really cool. And then my son, Gabriel, wanted to go take a picture. So Gabriel hopped the fence and at least standing there like, you know, and it's it was an awesome moment. Definitely cool. Very, very memorable. Aaron Long was signing autographs. Kellen was signing autographs. Ilya, Sergey, Palencia was signing autographs. Like it, I mean, it was great. McCarthy came by, was signing autographs, just said what's up to J Mac. It was, I mean, it was great. Honestly, such a great, fun time.
0: Well, I'm glad you got to go out and represent us there at the AEG Coachella Valley Invitational. Good stuff. I'm glad you were there. If I had the uh, the time off, I would have certainly gone. Christian, any thoughts on our games out in Coachella Valley?
2: Now, biggest takeaway I agree with Chris is Denny's looking strong and fit. Um, So I'm, I, I'm expecting a lot from him. I think he hit the ground running last year, similar to what Chicho did his first year joining midseason. Uh, Then he did something similar. And now with a full preseason, full understanding of the system, better understanding with the teammates. I just expect an explosive year from him. And I, I think, uh, um, I, I think I, I expect big things out of him and Carlos is going to be Carlos. I think he is happier. And when we know when he is happy, he, you know, magic happens from his feet. So I expect some big passes. And this is a big year until we get a formal number nine for for Opoku to continue to do what he can do uh, and not show it at um, with less competition, right? So uh, I'm, I'm looking for that. Um, offensively I think defensively we have a strong back line um, we we leaked some goals and I just think that we have a few new members back there that are trying to get together and then McCarthy's now going to have an extended run so just trying to figure out how all that it's good but I think we're going to be good for the beginning of the season I expect us to perform well at the beginning um, and I know we have one more match before that that you'll talk about but I just feel good about it. I feel good about it. CCL, I think all the trophies are on the line. I think we're going to have strong performances on all of them.
0: I'm hoping Bawanga has a breakout year, not just for my love of the black and gold, but I drafted him to my fantasy team as well, too. So I'm I'm really, really, Denny, see vous plaît. All right. Finally today, LAFC are set to take on the San Diego Loyal this Saturday at The bank. I almost called it Bank of California. That's going to be a hard one for a while. At the Mo this Saturday, we will have our jersey reveal that has already been leaked all over the internet everywhere. But the official reveal of our jersey will happen prior to the game. There are going to be some LAFC connections on the San Diego Loyal. Uh, First of which is Alejandro Guido is with the San Diego Loyal. He is their starting number 10. And if you pay attention to their roster when it is announced, information that I sadly still cannot talk about just yet, I tried to get the okay to say something on the show tonight and was denied vehemently. But there will be another former LAFC player in the attack for the San Diego Loyal. So keep your eyes out for that this weekend and say hello to our old friends from the black and gold when they show up and hopefully they get sent home with a thorough trouncing. But gentlemen, what are your thoughts on the kit release slash final preseason game coming up this weekend at the Mo? Uh,
1: well, actually, just before recording, I saw that LAFC had put out a uh, marketing blurb, whatever. Uh, there's They're going to be releasing the kit photos tomorrow in anticipation. So if you it, uh, there was something where all of the, uh, some of the LAFC players were like, Oh man, they're talking about the kit. And they're like, Oh, it's a good looking kit. And you can tell that they're talking about the new kit that's being revealed. And then it said tomorrow at the very end of it to let everybody know that there's going to be. And the, uh, MLS has been dropping teams in the MLS have been dropping their new kits today. So I think that it is expected that LAFC would be following suit and releasing it well before this upcoming weekend's festivities.
2: Yeah, I think, I think it'll be a celebration. You know, they've done this in the past with when you release the kit, some sort of a gathering or announcement or official reveal. Um, Although that, you know, there's leaks, like you said, and then there's going to be an announcement tomorrow. I think it's a little marketing promo to your point, Chris, where everyone's reacting to it. It seems like it's their first look at it uh, in the video. So interested to see those that haven't seen it. I feel like the diehards have seen it and are just going to show up anyway. And then I agree with you. San Diego Loyal, you know, hope we beat them and we beat them good. And I think I know who you're talking about based on these clues, but I hope they get a welcome, at least one of the two, who was a contributor in one of the seasons. And after that, you know, between the lines, it doesn't matter. I, San Diego Loyal or USL team, so we, I expect, you know, 3-1, 3-0, something like that.
1: I'm a little disappointed, though, honestly. Like, I, I think that giving fans the opportunity to come to this game Would have been a lot of fun, you know, seeing a a San Diego loyal, you know, this, this being more than just like a preseason match. This is the first time we're playing the San Diego loyal. It would have been nice if there would have been an opportunity for several fans to be able to get tickets. And it's, it's only available for season ticket holders. And there's only a max of four. And, you know, it's, if there's people that want to go to the game, it, you know, you're almost, the club is almost accepting the fact that it's, it's going to be a limited capacity event.
0: I agree. I would have much rather they just put the tickets on sale and let anyone who wants to buy a ticket, buy a ticket. And, you know, I'm fine with them giving season ticket holders, like the advantage to buy them early and then whatever was left sell. I think it could have been a sellout. I mean, I think fans would have come up from San Diego. The Loyals are very well supported team down there. They have their own SGs. And I, I think it had the potential to be a a lot more packed house than it is but maybe there just wasn't the staffing available to have the Mo at full capacity just yet but either way for the fans that do get to go they're going to be putting on a good show and I'm sure there will be lots of coverage on all the various social media platforms I unfortunately will not be able to attend the game Chris I will believe that you are going to be there and so uh, hopefully you get a chance to send out some social media for the fans while you're there and everybody gets a chance to take a look at it but should be fun as we go ahead and wrap up our preseason and get ready to open the season in a very unfriendly environment of the Rose Bowl which is going to be packed with LAFC fans because it doesn't seem like very many Galaxy fans are going to show up but 70,000 strong a weekend after next at the Rose Bowl to kick off the season we get a chance to defend our title Just want to throw out some community news real quick before we get going. Donations to the Mofacio Memorial Futsal Field are still going on. There's still a lot of charities going on around that. If you get a chance to participate in any of those, we sincerely appreciate everything being done for the memory of Mofacio. D9U still has some tequila left at flaskfinewines.com. If you want to go ahead and purchase yourself a bottle of tequila, a portion of the proceeds will go to the Mofacio Memorial Futsal Court there as well too. Empire Strikers are in full swing mid-season. Philly Panda and I have a broadcast home game coming up this Sunday. If you want to head on out to Toyota Arena and join me this Sunday, we are going to be doing Superhero Night. There are limited edition jerseys that you can bid on that will be signed by the players. And for the first time ever in history, you get a chance to purchase the very first ever Jonathan Reimer jersey. The team has actually gone ahead and put my jersey out as well too that I will autograph and send out to the winner of the charity auction. Uh, You can go ahead and head to the live source app and select the location of Ontario, California, and you could go home with the first ever professional jersey with my name on the back, which I know is worth at least two or three pennies. Um, But I am very appreciative that the team has given me that honor and to you, gentlemen, for allowing me to promote it. I don't have anything else for today's show. Gentlemen, anything else in community news or notes that you'd like to throw out to the fans before we call this
2: one a show? No, we did it all, Jonathan.
0: Brilliant. Well... On behalf of Chris Christian, sound engineer Wilton, and myself, we'd like to thank you all for listening to episode 145. We'd like to sincerely thank Jordan Harvey, the assistant technical director and ambassador for LAFC2 in the MLS Next Pro for joining us as our guest this week. As always, please follow the show at LAFC S2S on all your social media platforms. You can reach out to us via email or via social media. Our emails are Jonathan chris and christian at lafcs2s.com if you would ever like to be a guest on the show we are ravenously trying to book guests for the upcoming season if you have a black and gold story to tell be it a fan be it as your involvement in something in community we would love to be an avenue to get your story out there to the fans thank you all for listening and with that Take us home, sticks. show
3: up, to show up. Together this our culture. Full the force of a supernova.
0: Stay flying that FC Dorsum. Hey, shopping down the Nikki's Korea town lady. keep of so mommy, about to drop her fit. They want me to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, i defend that bank.